Good Bone Health makes active aging possible. Join us for inspiring conversations from diverse perspectives in osteoporosis, from patients, healthcare providers, caregivers, policymakers, researchers, advocates, and innovators. Protect your ability to live your best life. The information and opinions expressed in Bone Talk are not intended to replace the services of trained and qualified health professionals or to be a substitute for medical advice of physicians. You may review the National Osteoporosis Foundation's full medical disclaimer at nof.org. Hi, everyone. I'm Barbara Hannah Grufferman, Bone Health Ambassador and Trustee of the National Osteoporosis Foundation. Welcome to another episode of Bone Talk. October is Menopause Awareness Month, and to help raise awareness of this normal and natural experience that literally all women go through, we are focusing on why, as I like to say, all roads lead to menopause. Menopause changes everything. Not only do many women experience some of the more common but temporary symptoms of menopause like hot flashes and mood swings, there are some surprising ways menopause impacts our bodies in much deeper ways. We know, for example, that bones get thinner and weaker with the drops in estrogen and just about everything gets drier, hair, skin, eyes, and other places too, but menopause affects our brain health and functioning in ways that we are only just starting to really understand. The human brain has 100 billion neurons. Each neuron is connected to the tens of thousands of other neurons. Sitting on your shoulders is the most complicated and amazing object in the universe, an object that certainly deserves our attention. My guest today is a leading authority on brain health, and she is going to hold our hands while we take a deep dive into the innermost workings of our hardworking and extraordinarily complex brains, explain how menopause impacts our brains, and give us her very best tips on keeping our brains sharp for life. Dr. Gayatri Devi is the director of Park Avenue Neurology, clinical professor of neurology at SUNY Downstate Medical Center an attending neurologist at Lenox Hill Hospital, Northwell Health in New York City. She is board certified in neurology, pain medicine, psychiatry, brain injury medicine, and behavioral neurology. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Debbie. Thank you for having me, Barbara. I'm excited to be on with you. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. Dr. Debbie, okay, since our focus is on menopause and its impact on brain health, Please explain a bit about how our brains change as a result of menopause, especially when estrogen levels drop, and really what's actually happening up there? That's a great question, Barbara. When you think back 100 years ago to the early 1900s, women pretty much died around the time of menopause. The average woman lived into her 50s. Life expectancy was in the 50s. But now, 100 years later, life expectancy for women is mid-80s. So women are now living an extra 30 years without a hormone that may be very helpful for a multitude of different systems in our body. What happens in the brain with menopause and the loss of estrogen is actually very interesting. In animals, they've found that when there's estrogen loss, there is reduction in synaptic density, which is the connections between nerve cells. 
particularly in the part of the brain called the hippocampus, which deals with memory, and the basal forebrain. There's reduction in acetylcholine in our brains when we go through menopause. There's a reduction in serotonin in our brain when we go through menopause. And it also has, estrogen in and of itself has a direct effect on mood and on thinking. That also gets affected directly, separately from the effects on acetylcholine and serotonin, which are neurotransmitters in the brain. There's also increased levels of cortisol that happen when women go through menopause, and that worsens memory as well. And then it's a well-known fact that estrogen keeps our heart healthy, and heart health is very important for brain health. And finally, estrogen's important for learning information, for registering and for retrieving information. It's important for language, and it's important for judgment. So you can see that estrogen is crucial for good brain function, and the lack of it causes a lot of problems as we go through menopause, but usually because we're so adaptable as human beings and because our brains are so versatile, we're able to get through this period and come out of it still very highly functional. That's the good news. It's just incredible to me, the research that I do on menopause and all the different ways that we are changed really forever in so many ways, sometimes temporarily, as we pointed out, but then sometimes chronically. And of course, the brain, it's just remarkable to me how estrogen has such an impact on it, not only our bones and our heart health, as you pointed out, but also the brain. And of course, there are many women, and it's good to know that our brains will adapt, as you said, but also there are many women who choose to take hormonal therapy to counter the loss in estrogen. But that's a whole nother topic. And I don't think we have time to cover all the pros and cons of HT right now. But any discussion about brain health inevitably leads to a discussion about dementia and, of course, Alzheimer's. Can you give us an overview of the latest understanding of Alzheimer's? And are we really getting any closer to finding a cure or at least figuring out how to slow it down? especially with women, as we know, women are really statistically more prone, possibly because we live longer, but I'm sure there are other reasons as well. And I'm sure a lot of them relate back to menopause. Can you take us through that? Yes. As women are at higher risk for developing Alzheimer's disease, and there are many reasons for it, hormonal causes may be one reason that the protective effect of estrogen is not there in women as they get older, the average 60-year-old man has more estrogen than the average 55-year-old woman. So men continue to have the protective effect of estrogen in their brains, but women do not. And so there may be some effect from that. What are your thoughts about women using hormone therapy, HT, as a way to specifically counter Alzheimer's? Is this something that is a good idea? I personally think it's a fantastic idea. I believe that hormone therapy and estrogen is very helpful for the brain as we go through the menopausal transition and even afterward in terms of keeping our brain healthy. Now, the data regarding it is quite conflicting. So some studies have suggested, yes, use estrogen, and even women who've used estrogen for a short period of time have a 50% reduced risk down the road of developing Alzheimer's disease. But then other studies have not found that protective effect. 
I personally believe, given the widespread ramifications of how estrogen is helpful in the brain, that it does have a significant effect. And this may be one reason why women later in life are at higher risk for developing Alzheimer's disease because we spend so much of our lives, nearly a third of our lives, after the age of 51, which is the average age of menopause, without the protective effects of estrogen. In terms of whether estrogen helps women who are going through the menopausal transition and are experiencing cognitive loss, I do treat such women with hormones if they are not averse to it, if they're not afraid of the side effects of hormone therapy. And some people consider it an off-label use of the use of estrogen because mm-hmm. the general teaching is that estrogen can only be used or should generally be used for women who are having hot flashes or night sweats, who are having problems with lubrication and vaginal and sexual dysfunction, but not necessarily for cognitive loss. And to me, cognitive loss is present in 60% of women going through the menopausal transition, and it can help. I personally find that it's very helpful in my practice for women going through menopause who are complaining of trouble with multitasking, who are having trouble with thinking in an article. Or brain fog, we call it, when we're going through menopause. exactly Mm -hmm. right. Dr. Debbie, I have to tell you personally, I do have a regret. I like to say I live my life so far with no regrets, but this is one. When I did go through menopause around the age of 49, it was mild. You know, sure, I had the sleepless nights and the hot flashes, but they were all manageable. So my quality of life was not ever compromised enough that I even considered HT. And now that I know so much more about the off-label, as you put it, benefits of HT, including bones, I have low bone density, which is why I'm very involved in the National Osteoporosis Foundation, our heart health, and now we understand our brain health and other benefits. I really do regret that I didn't start early. I'm 63 So I do feel it's too late for me at this point, but I do encourage other women to always take a look at it. Now, you're right. It's not for everyone for various reasons, but it is certainly an option that I think more women should take a look at. And, you know, so many women were afraid of HT because of that study, the WHI study that came out in 2002. We all know that, but I think it is something that women really need to look at seriously as they start to go through menopause. I think we both agree with that. We do. And Barbara, you sound a lot younger than 61 or 62. So the lack of... Thank you. 63 and counting. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the other thing too, with regards to that Women's Health Initiative study that came out is reanalysis of the data. Reanalysis of the data found that actually women who were on hormones were protected from breast cancer compared to women Mm -hmm. not on hormones which is Mm -hmm. a big, big fear in my practice. And there's another great study called the Danish Osteoporosis Prevention Study, where they Mm -hmm. followed women for 26 years, 11 years on hormones and 16 years afterwards. And they found that women who were on estrogen or estradiol, there was a lower mortality, lower risk of heart attacks, and there was no increased risk of cancer or stroke. So the big fears that we have as women, my goodness, you know, I don't want to consider this because I'm worried I might get cancer. I'm worried that I might get a stroke. Those risks were not proven, borne out in this large study with 26 years of following women over a thousand. Yes. 
we're both in agreement. And I think more and more doctors and women are taking a look at HT again. And that's a very, very good thing. Again, my real focus is on bone health usually, and I know what it can do for the prevention of the acceleration of bone loss. So Dr. Debbie, this is something that should, I think, help people calm down a little bit when they start to forget names or why they walked into another room and like, why am I here? (laughs) A neuroscientist wrote a book last year called Successful Aging, terrific book. And in an interview with the New York Times, he said, and I quote, it's not that you can't remember. Oh, you can. It's just that there is so much information to sort through. I mean, think about it. When you live to, like, again, I'm 63. I have a lot of stuff piled up in this brain of mine that I have to kind of, I guess, sort through in order to answer a question, figure something out, remember something. So it is complicated, but that just makes logical sense to me. But I think the real question I have for you today is, okay, so we know that that is kind of in the realm of normal for us as we get older. There's a lot going on up there that we have to sort through. Great. But how do we know when it's in normal forgetting or something more serious that we need to really talk to a doctor about? How do we know? Well, it's sometimes really difficult to tell. Because forgetting is normal, as you say, because forgetting is automatic and it's incessant, it's there with us from the time we are born, we have to learn to forget our first kiss in order to kiss another person. We have to learn to forget our first love in order to fall in love again. We have to learn to forget our falls in order to walk. So forgetting is very important for human survival. So trying not to forget is an impossible task. The thing that I tell people is understand that forgetting is normal. A lot of forgetting is normal. The more you know, the more you're going to forget. And as you say, Barbara, we have so much information these days, so much information that we're inundated with The number of people we meet in an average day is more than our ancestors met in their lifetime 150 years ago. So we're just exponentially increasing what our brains have to handle. Therefore, first, most importantly, don't stress out when you forget, particularly when you forget names. Forgetting names is very common as we get older. Secondly, if the forgetting looks like it's something very different from before. For example, some people were Mm -hmm. always forgetful, whereas other people had brains like a steel trap. They never forgot anything, and now they're beginning to forget. So if there's a change in your ability to remember, and that change is consistent, and it's getting worse, then it may be worthwhile going to see someone. I generally think that if the more accomplished you are, the more demands you have on your time, the first person to notice will often be yourself. You will notice that there are difficulties in your ability to manage your time well, in your ability to multitask. And if you feel that it's progressive, it's making you anxious, it's making you lose your sense of confidence, it's affecting your function, then that's the time to go see someone. Now, when you see someone, a lot of times, Because physicians are not as couched in the idea of how to do a cognitive exam, they may just do a simple mini mental status exam, which most of us will pass 
with flying colors, even if we have cognitive impairment. So mm-hmm. you may want, if you're really having problems, you may want, you may insist that you need further testing, which includes cognitive testing that sometimes lasts a few hours to see if there are problems. So important to know that there's a change in functioning that's persistent and progressive, then you need to have it evaluated. And there are a number of treatable conditions like hormone changes, as we discussed, mm-hmm. including thyroid dysfunction, depression, a lot of other factors can also cause this kind of progressive cognitive change. Simple things like a UTI. My mother, who's 84, whenever she does have a UTI, urinary tract infection, she always seems off with regards to her functioning, mental functioning, and certainly medication. So I think you're right. All of those factors can really add to a period of confusion that may just also be temporary once that's resolved, too. Right. For example, in Mm -hmm. the Northeast, Lyme disease is a consideration when you're starting to have memory problems. That's so interesting. Thanks for bringing that up, too. And also, research shows that a healthy lifestyle can not only help keep us fit and strong and age well and age better head to toe, inside and out as we get older, but it also can help protect our brains as we get older. So what are some of the best ways to exercise and to eat to keep our brain sharp as long as possible? And also, if you can, can you touch on something that I just discovered a few months ago called the MIND diet appropriately, (laughs) M-I-N-D, which I understand is a modified version of the Mediterranean diet, which is always referenced as a go-to, almost ideal way to eat for really overall health and well-being. The most important thing is exercise, aerobic exercise. Aerobic exercise three times a week for 45 minutes has been shown to cause nerve cells in our hippocampus to grow. It's been shown to improve your cognition by 5 to 10%. So aerobic exercise, very, very important. And I can't stress that enough. Also sleep, very, very important. I can't stress that enough. And I know we're going to be talking about that a little bit more as well. And then the Mediterranean, in terms of diet, Mediterranean diet, which as you know, is a diet that's really healthy with low levels, saturated fats and... And processed foods, no processed foods, all whole foods. Right. That is very helpful. And the DASH diet, so the, the MIND diet is a combination of the Mediterranean diet and the DASH diet. So it involves basically eating a lot of berries, a lot of olive oil, fish, beans, poultry, a little bit of wine, which is always a good thing, mm-hmm. and staying away from the butter and the steaks if you can. Right. And it was intriguing to me as I learned more about the mind diet that the emphasis was on berries. There's something in berries apparently that is very healthy for our brains. Yes, yes, because they have a lot of antioxidants, which are helpful for the brain. The brain uses more energy than the rest of your body combined, and it weighs Mm. about 170th of your body, but it uses between a third to sometimes half the energy that your body uses, even when you're sleeping. And that generates a lot of waste products, including free radicals, which antioxidants can help to detoxify the brain. And so anything mm-hmm. that can help with that is very good for the brain. The other thing about the Absolutely. mind diet is that mm-hmm. it's really good for the heart. And any diet that's good for the heart is 
just as good for the brain. One of my favorite things to say to people is, listen, everyone, we don't want you to get overwhelmed. Like, oh, I have to do just this for my brain or I have to do just this for my heart and so on and so forth, because that can be so overwhelming. You just want to put the proverbial blanket over your head and stay that way and do nothing, which is what many people often do. But what I like to remind people is that, hey, everyone, what's good for your heart is good for your brain, is good for your weight management, good for your bones, and so on. It's like, no, just create this healthy lifestyle. Like you talked about aerobic exercise. Just so you know, Dr. Debbie, my own personal story, when I went through menopause, I was just about 50, Bell broke my arm, realized the bone loss was happening, and then took action instead of putting the blanket over my head. And that's when I changed everything. I started to run. And in fact, in two weeks, I'm running my 12th marathon. It will be virtual. Wonderful. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. I just ran one two weeks ago, a virtual. But boy, is that hard to do all by yourself. No crowds, no finish line, not even a medal. One will be sent in the mail, but it's mentally hard. But anyway, I know that all of this is working for me. And I have also embraced most of this healthy eating as well. And after reading more about the mind diet, I have started to eat more berries almost every day. And I encourage everyone to do the same. You did reference sleep. I view sleep, as I'm sure you do, as the third pillar of good health. Moving your body, one, eating the right foods, two, and sleep, three. As we all know, sleep, like you referenced 100 years ago, women's lifespan was the mid-50s. 100 years ago, people had no idea what was going on when we were sleeping. They thought it was just nothing, like nothing was going on. Well, we know better now. We know what's going on, not only in our bodies, but really what's going on in our brains. And I find that fascinating. Of course, not being a doctor, I do think and speak in layman terms. And so when I think about how When I'm asleep, my brain is literally being swept of debris. It's just so fascinating to me. And I think if I had to do it all over again, I would go back and maybe follow in your footsteps, Dr. Debbie. But do tell us about why sleep is so important to brain health and very unfortunately for menopausal women, getting a good night's sleep is hard. So what do we do? Sleep is tough because women, menopausal women are going through hot flashes and night sweats, which are difficult to sleep when you're drowning in your own sweat. This is another reason I really believe hormone therapy or some kind of treatment to help with the hot flashes and night sweats is good as you go through menopause. The other issue with sleep, as you mentioned, is sleep is the time when all the plaques in the brain The deposits that may be harmful to brain cells are all taken away by the brain sanitation system, and that system is most effective at night. Sleep is also a time when the hormones that are responsible for weight loss are more active. So there are multiple different reasons why sleep has been conserved, not just in bees and birds, but also in human beings. Sleep is a time when our daily memories are rehearsed so that the next day we are better able to remember something that we rehearsed in our dreams. So there are many, many reasons why we should and must and have to prioritize sleep in order to keep our brains healthy. Sleep is, in my opinion, the pillar in addition 
to the secondary pillars of exercise and diet for keeping us healthy. And the reason I kind of emphasize sleep is because most of us tend to de-emphasize sleep in the society where so much is frenetic and we are pulled in so many different directions. This was fascinating, Dr. Debbie. Can you just give us your three best tips all women can take to help keep their brains strong before, during, and after menopause? Number one, consider hormones. They are your friend. And think about them, talk to them with your physician, and see if they may be something that you should be on. Number two, sleep. Prioritize sleep during menopause and after menopause, it is one of the most important things that is helpful for your brain. And number three, if possible, try to not be so stressed. I know that sounds so much easier said than done, but there are simple things you can do. One, understand that forgetting is normal, so don't stress out about forgetting. Number two, try to make sure that if you're tired, Listen to your brain and get some extra sleep. Number three, very important, leave your cell phones out of the bedroom when you go to bed. Thank you so much, Dr. Debbie, for all of these amazing tips, the insights on how brains work before, during, and after menopause. I have to tell you, you did mention stress. We should have focused on it more. I know right now I feel less stressed just having all of this information. (laughs) Thank you again, Dr. Debbie. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Barbara, for having me on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Debbie, for sharing your knowledge and expertise with all of us. We'll have links to NOF resources, as well as how to learn more about Dr. Debbie and her important work at www.nof.org. And also, you can go to find out more about Dr. Debbie at www.nybrain.org. Everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bone Talk as much as I enjoyed talking with our wonderful guest, Dr. Gayatri Devi. We always hear amazing things from our guests, but we want to hear from you also. So please visit www.bonetalk.org and go to share your story to tell us what's happening in your world. Because the more we stay connected, the stronger we will be. You can also visit healthywomen.org for the No Pause in Menopause Roundtable, a series of talks hosted online each Wednesday through October. And in fact, two additional talks have been added on to November. For more information about how to keep your bones strong and healthy for life, visit www.nof.org regularly for up-to-the-minute information. And everyone, please do two things. One, subscribe to Bone Talk so you never miss an episode. And two, please share this information with your friends and family. Until next time, remember this, we can't control getting older, but we can control how we do it. Thank you and bye for now. Thank you for joining Bone Talk, the National Osteoporosis Foundation's podcast that shares information, strategies, and inspiration about good bone health that makes active aging possible. To learn more about bone health, to become involved and or help fuel NOF's mission with financial support, visit nof.org.